Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more information and content, or to connect with our worldwide Liquid Church community, log on to liquidchurchonline.com. What's up, Liquid? want to welcome you to our new series, Roots, Growing Deeper in Your Spiritual Faith. And this is kind of the perfect way, in my mind, to kick off the fall. Uh, we've just said bye-bye summer, and uh, you can see it's getting cooler outside. The leaves are changing. Honestly, fall is my favorite season. Anyone else is like my... my I, no, it's like heresy. You know, we love the summer. I love the fall. Um, I love being outdoors. The leaves go green to orange, red, yellow, the whole thing. And uh, kind of a season about change and new growth. I mean, that's why I think I love it. Things that were planted in the summer start popping up. Uh, As a family, we go apple picking, pumpkins, just a great time of year. And we saw a surprising sign of growth, actually, and change in our backyard a few weeks ago. And this is funny, because while I uh, love the outdoors, I am not much of a gardener. Anybody else about that? Uh, Neither my wife or I were born with green thumbs. When people give us plants or flowers as a gift, it's a death sentence. Five days, that thing is dead brown in the corner. We are not plant people. Uh, And that's a shame because, honestly, uh, when we bought our house several years ago, the elderly woman who lived there had this beautiful wildflower garden. Uh, She had cultivated probably for, like, decades. Uh, Just gorgeous uh, roses, uh, trumpet vine, peonies, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but when we, you know, we tried to, like, you know, cut it and prune prune it, whatever that is, and it just went completely wild. Actually grew up over the fence, up the side of the garage, until half our garage was engulfed in vines and, like, leaves and everything, and just kind of destroyed the whole thing. Actually peeled away the paint off our garage. One of the vines got underneath the roof and started prying up the shingles. So this summer, we said, that's it. we got to paint the garage, just get rid of the whole thing, and prune that baby back because it's out of control. So I was elected executioner. And before the painters came, I took my weed whacker and just kind of hacked that baby all the way back to its roots. I actually cut back the branches and pulled several plants up by the roots, and there was nothing left but a patch of dirt. Now, don't judge me plant people. It was doing damage, all right? Just relax. Anyway, my little boy, meanwhile, was given a pack of pumpkin seeds by his grandpa. Isn't that cute? A few weeks ago, and it was part of a science set or something like that. And then he gave him this, and they gave my daughter a pack of sunflower seeds. You ever see these? Like a crummy little bag you get in the supermarket, right? So both of them go out to this patch of dirt by our garage that I did a scorched earth thing on, you know? And they're out there, and I see them doing this. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And, and my son's like, we're planting our seeds, Daddy. And I was like, you know. Whatever, I just like, I like blowtorch that thing. There's nothing there. Totally barren, all dirt. So they go out, rip open the whole pack, and they just dump the seeds all over the whole thing. Whatever. No water, nothing. Well, five or six weeks ago, my little boy comes running through the back door, and he says, Daddy, you got to see our garden. And I thought he was like, you know, pretending. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. Next day, he just goes, Daddy, do you want to come out and pick your pumpkin? And we were going away on vacation, so I was like, uh, maybe later. We pack up, we leave. We come back two weeks later when we get back. I'm unpacking the car, and the kids come screaming. They go, Daddy, you have to see the magic vine. And my wife is like, you got to see this. And literally in our backyard is this eight or nine foot 
long vine that is literally taking over our entire backyard. It's unbelievable. It's creeping across our lawn. It is moving its way onto our porch. Look at it. It's trying to get in our house. (laughs) And underneath are eight or nine pumpkins growing, not just small ones, but the big ones. In the middle of the pumpkin patch are these giant sunflowers. They're gorgeous. They're reaching up to the sky and everything. The bees are buzzing all around this thing. I like get out there and I could not believe it. That's an actual picture. I was like, how did this happen? My six-year-old dumps seeds on this scorched earth and it's like, you know, it's like Jack and the Beanstalks, like magic seeds or something. So anyway, we're selling these pumpkins for $10 a pop after the service. See me then. Uh, And I just kind of had to shake my head, you know, because the little I know about gardening or like growing things, I'm like, we broke every rule in the book, okay? We did not till the ground. We did not water it, plant them in rows. After I kind of scorched the earth, my son literally, he just, you know, he throws his pack all in one place and runs away. And I'm like, it must not be the seeds. It must be the soil. There's something magic about that little patch of dirt by our garage. There he is. Look at him. He's got bedhead. It's just a, it allows even the most carelessly scattered seeds to take root, yeah, and bear fruit, which is a little like how our faith grows, isn't it? You can like lay out all these plans for like, you know, deepening your spirituality, like how am I going to grow my faith? And you do all these things and nothing happens. And then there are other people who don't seem to have any plan, but they just grow like a weed. They actually, they, they trust God, and, and when crisis hits their life, they actually lean in and trust God even deeper. And, and it's like, why is that? Why is it when times get tough, the faith of some people just kind of withers on the vine, but for others, it grows fruit even bigger than before? Again, I'm not an expert on this, but there's a connection between what we see in the physical world and what happens in our spiritual lives with God. And to get at this, I really want to go to the teaching of the Master Gardener, Jesus Christ, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. So if you take your Bible and turn there with me, we'll take a look at this. Jesus was a carpenter by trade, but he talked like a gardener. He employed all sorts of organic kind of imagery. He's always talking about like seeds and weeds and fruits and branches and and vines and putting down roots. And and in Matthew 13, he tells this, this story about the secret of the soil why some people's faith seems to wither when harsh weather comes, and others just kind of send down their roots and become even more deeply rooted in Christ and their faith. And they they, they live these lives, this is the thing, they end up living these lives of of like explosive growth, and they bear fruit. That's what fruit is. It's just a symbol of the power of God unleashed in your life. So let's read this together, Matthew 13. All the crowds are gathering around Jesus, and he, and he tells them a parable. He says, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil, and it sprang up quickly, but the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they what? They withered because they had no root. Now other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, Jesus says, let him hear. Now, you may have heard this parable before. It's recorded in Mark and Luke and their Gospels as well. And that's because Jesus loved telling parables. A parable is just a, a short story, or it's this like striking illustration that shows a deeper spiritual truth. But most of Jesus' parables had one topic, the kingdom of God. That was his recurring theme. What does it mean to live your life 
under God's total control and power. Now, we've, we've talked about this before. The kingdom of God is not a political agenda. The kingdom of God isn't a physical location, but a spiritual realm where God rules and we get to share in his eternal love and power. And some of you would say, well, that, that, that sounds great. <laughs> I would love to experience God's power and his fruit in his life, my life, actually, but it's about time. Maybe there's an area of your life that's kind of uh, you know, dried up or burned out. Maybe you're going through a dry spell relationally. I got an email for, uh, just this week from a young man. He and his wife happily married uh, as newlywed. They're married five years. God actually blessed them with a baby boy, but he said, it's like it just all dried up. She doesn't love me anymore. Her heart hardened, and we're moving towards divorce, I fear. I don't know what's happened, Pastor Tim. Things have dried up, something that was once fresh and growing. Or maybe things up, have dried up uh, in your career or, or financially. Maybe you, maybe you lost your job. You're going through a season of unemployment or a dry spell in your business. Maybe you once had a green thumb, kind of a, a fruitful career up and moving, but now everything you touch seems to just kind of die on the vine, and you're like, I would love for God's power to come into my life and just make that thing green again. We all go through seasons of dryness or times in our, our life when things just seem, what's, what's the image Jesus uses? Fruitless. This guy goes out and he plants seeds. He scatters seeds and nothing takes, not with the first three. He scatters some here, and the birds eat that. These he puts over here, and the sun scorches it, and thorns choke the rest. This must be New Jersey. That's the setting. And we are the garden state. It's kind of like the seasons of life when you think about it. Fall follows summer, but winter follows fall. In other words, everything, like a seed, must die at some point and go into the ground before it can be resurrected to new life. Again, the natural world is a reflection of the spiritual. But Jesus says still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. That's what happened in my backyard. It's, it's kind of like, why do some people seem to experience this like exponential growth in their life? My kids scatter a few crummy seeds on the ground, and all of a sudden pumpkins are having a hostile takeover. What's it, what gives? We all want to know this secret. Like, if my friend knew his relationship could magically like, you know, heal and grow and blossom again, or you knew the secret of like, you know, growing your you know, career 160, 30 times what you put in. Everybody would buy that book. It'd be quite a harvest. So what's the secret? Jesus says cryptically, let him who has ears, let him hear. Don't you love when he says things like that? <laughs> in other words, it's like, don't you get it? And everyone's kind of like, yeah, sort of. When the crowds go away, the disciples come up and they say, what does it really mean? Jesus is saying you need to listen, not just with your ears, but a deeper kind of listening with your what? With your heart, because the kingdom of God is within you. So what's the secret of sustained growth? That's what his disciples say, and after the crowds go away, Jesus tells them in verse 18, you can look at it. He says, listen to what the parable of the sower means. I'll spell it out for you. When anybody hears the message about the kingdom, I want to get this just right, and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart, and he says, that's the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word at once, and he receives it with joy. But since he has no, what's the word? Root. He lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, worries and wealth choke it, making it unfruitful.
But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it, and he produces a crop yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. Are you starting to see what he's scratching at here? In essence, Jesus is warning us about three kinds of soil in our lives that can make us unreceptive to growing our faith. We, we may want to see God move with power in our life. We want to bear fruit, but we can't. Why not? Jesus says, bad soil. In other words, if, if, if the seed is the truth of the gospel, it needs soil that is fertile if it's actually going to take root and ultimately bear fruit. The first kind of soil Jesus warns about is a hard heart. Notice it says some fell on rocky places. It couldn't penetrate. And he's talking about people who approach faith with the intellect only. You guys know this. Seeds, seeds don't germinate unless they go underground. And, and that means it's possible to be in regular contact with God's word. You can come to church. You can read Christian books, listen to podcasts or radio. But it never actually personally penetrates and gets down into your heart. T Tim Keller, he's the author of The Reason for God. And he says what Jesus means is these are people to whom Christianity is merely theoretical. Okay? Here's a test. In other words, the question I'd say, has the love, the outrageous compassion of God called grace, as seen in his son Jesus Christ on the cross, on the tree in your place, has it ever personally penetrated your heart? Beyond like, I'm a Christian, I believe in God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, beyond all the creeds, has the message of the kingdom gotten down into your heart? And people who've experienced that love and power of the kingdom... They've been impacted by it. It's not abstract anymore. It's not rote. It's not I'm coming to church today. It's personal. Faith isn't just intellectual. It's actually warmed their, strangely warmed their heart. That's how John Wesley put it. Have you ever had that kind of encounter with the gospel? Have you ever heard like a message or you heard God's word communicate and you got this like sensation like God is talking directly to me. His, his love is not this thing the preacher's talking about. His love is for me. It's for bread. It's for Jackson. It's for Lockery. It's for, it has my name on it. Have you ever had that feeling? If not, you've been listening to God's word with a hard heart. It's only intellectual. The text says some of the seed fell in rocky places. I have a friend who, um, she would consider herself a believer, honestly. She attends church mainly on like Christmas, Easter, special occasions. We have spiritual conversations. She'd say, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but she'd say, I have some obstacles to this whole Jesus thing. That's what she calls it, this Jesus thing. She says, first off, it doesn't make sense. Like, like, why are we born into sin? I don't get that. If God has the power to, like, eradicate evil, well, why doesn't he? And secondly, she goes, if I believe in Jesus, Tim, honestly, no offense, I know you're a pastor dude and all, but most Christians seem ridiculous to me. <laughs> and I'm worried about what my family would say. She has a lot of intellectual objections to faith, you understand? She, she has a cynical a spirit. I love her. She's a, she's a close friend of mine, but there's a hardness of heart there. There's a fear or a cynicism that prevents it from actually getting under and taking root. So Jesus warns against approaching God with a hard heart, only the intellect. But then he warns about approaching God with a shallow heart. In other words, faith that's only emotional. Notice the second soil are people, it says, who receive the kingdom message. I love this. It says, they receive the message with joy. And it springs up quickly. Have you ever seen people like that? People get all excited about Christ, like they, they went to, you know, like a, like a conference or, and they had a, an encounter with Jesus or something and, and they moved beyond the theoretical. Maybe they, you know, came down the aisle at a revival or something like that or, or they were spontaneously baptized. That's me, it's my lucky day, <laughs> you know? And, and like their eyes were suddenly open. But then Jesus says, watch out because their soil's shallow. And since she has no 
root lasts only a short time. When trouble comes, they're out of here. And you realize he's talking about people who can't take the heat. See, when the, when the noonday sun comes out, because they have no roots, they wilt and wither and quickly fall away. And, and this is one of the saddest things. Um, I was looking the other day at baptism photos. Uh, you guys know we have our fall baptism coming up on October 10th. And I love looking at the expressions of joy on people's faces when they come up out of the water. I love that. This is a holy moment. It's like these are people who've been clearly touched by like God's love. They've heard the message. Christ forgives me. I'm being adopted into God's family. And they are like, I'm taking a bold step. I'm going public. And they come out of the water and they're like, new life. And I'm looking through these pictures from, from, from baptism last year and I saw the face of this one woman who looked ecstatic and I was just like, but I haven't, I haven't seen her around in a while. So I asked a few of her friends and one of her pastors says, yeah, actually it's a shame. She doesn't, she doesn't come anymore. I said, why, why not? Why? She said, well, she kind of had couple rough months following her baptism. Her family was not supportive. They, they're actually Catholic. Uh, her husband got ill. They went through a tough stretch in their marriage. And then she had a run-in with her small group. Because I was like, did anyone help her in her, in her life group? And she go, they go, no, she had a run-in, a conflict with someone. She got kind of offended, so she stopped coming. She said, and I, well, have we followed? And she, they said, I called her, but she said, she's kind of just disillusioned with this whole thing and wonders if any of it were ever real. You, do you know people who once burned bright, they were all fired up about God, but then they fell away. That's shallow soil, a faith that is purely emotional. Because when the first glow of the gospel kind of wears off, as soon as suffering comes into their life and they, and they begin to lose important things, the things that, they, that were important to them, they turn their back on God because they say, what use was that? What use is Christ if I lose all, I, I can't have these things that I need? They, they may have been personally penetrated at one time, but that deeper message of the kingdom, that maturity and growth comes through hardship. That faith doesn't eliminate suffering. It says there's a purpose behind it. That deeper message never took root. And that's scary. Because the first two people are easy to, to recognize and realize that these folks aren't even really believers. But it's this, this group, they, they, what really happened is, they said, I'm interested in entering Christ's kingdom, but in reality, they were trying to get Christ to enter their kingdom. They didn't want a savior. They wanted a service provider. Keller puts it this way. He says, they wanted a sugar daddy, not a king. And as long as they got what they wanted from God, they had joy. Woo! But once he stopped help meeting their goals, they're done with him, which shows that the things they really worshipped were the things they lost in the heat. You hear that? Their real God, small g, were the things they lost in the heat. Their main identity was, I'm a sufferer in need of a solution. Whereas real followers of Christ say, no, the deeper issue is I'm a sinner in need of a savior daily. Save me from myself, my selfishness. Jesus didn't come to provide us services. He died to bring salvation. But the shallow heart expresses faith very, very superficially. It's emotion only. They enter through the cross, but they don't want to pick up their own and follow it, which is the secret to growing deep. In John 12, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and what? What's the word? Dies. It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. In other words, Jesus says, if you want exponential growth in your life, you have to die. Who wants to follow me? Faith may be fun at first, guys, but affliction will find you. And when the heat comes, it will wither you if you have no root. So Jesus is warning two groups of people here. Those who approach God with a hard heart, a 
cynicism or intellect only in a shallow heart, just with emotion. Which are you, by the way? Which, which way do you skew? Most of us skew one way or the other. Or are you the third group? The, the, the kind who approaches God with a divided heart. That's the last group that Jesus points out here. And this is scary because this is a boot group of believers who are actually growing. They, they have roots, okay? They, they, they are. But what's it say? The worries of this life in the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Now, now capture this. Don't be too hard on these guys. Don't be hard on them. They don't fall away. They don't run away. But their faith gets what? It gets choked. There are things that come around it that start crowding it and not giving it enough space to grow. Worries of this life, Jesus says. Wealth, chasing after money, career, conflicting priorities. So these would be people who would acknowledge that their sinners need a Savior, but they have this moment, they had their moment with Christ accepting their salvation. But weeds around them, thorny influences still have a grip, yeah? I was talking to a college student uh, in our congregation who was really worried about going back to school this fall. And, uh, and, and he's a great, he's a Christian young man, great guy, loves Christ dearly. And so I said, you know, why are you worried? And he said, honestly, Tim, he said, when I get back to school, there is no support system. I know how this is going to go. I'm going to go back to my fraternity and be surrounded by my buddies who got nothing to do with like the things of God. And I'm a junior. I know how this goes. I will start real strong, like I'll have my devotions and quiet times, but then the classes and the parties, and as the semester wears on, I get worn down. The drinking, the girls, the whole lifestyle, it just surrounds me thorns, yeah? Weeds. When you are surrounded by competing values that, that choke your faith or crowd it out, and it's not just the worries of life, Jesus says, but notice he says the deceitfulness of what? Of Wealth, which is curious. I mean, some of you are committed to Christ, and you know, you know too much. You know you're saved. You know what it's like to have him in your heart and to be growing, and bl- but you're chasing after stuff, if you're honest, and you know your work is more important to you than anything else. You know your priorities are like way out of whack. And maybe you make time for, for the things that your natural heart gravitates towards. It may be good things. There's nothing wrong with building a career or working hard, except when it crowds out Christ when it takes all our time and our energies and we make money but we don't bear fruit. He who has ears, let him hear. Life in God's kingdom is 180 degrees different. When God's grace penetrates your heart at a deeper level, your priorities change sometimes radically in ways that the world considers foolish. Let me show you um, what this life in the kingdom looks like lived out in real life. I want to introduce you to a man named Robert. He is an emergency room doctor and a follower of Jesus. And as the message of the kingdom penetrated his heart, what's the message of the kingdom? You will find your life by what? Giving it away. We're to treat the last in this world as the first in the kingdom. It began taking root and caused Robert to make a radical decision from a lucrative career as a surgeon in the ER to living out the kingdom and becoming a servant of the least. When I started this clinic, I was hoping 
that more doctors would follow my lead and join me maybe even part-time, but no one did. And in fact, over the last eight years, it seems like I've become somewhat of a pariah or an outcast. When I used to work in the ER, I was making good living, very comfortable. We saw a number of uninsured patients, and uh, I recognized that a lot of these patients were, were my neighbors. Some of them literally my neighbors. People like barbers, sawmill operators, workers at convenience stores, mechanics. I had to see these people every day who I know could be treated more compassionately, more cost-effectively in another setting. I felt like basically even though I was working in the ER, I was walking around them and I was not being a neighbor to them. I kept asking myself the question, is this what a good Samaritan would do? I really sensed in my heart that God wanted me to provide medical care for these people outside of the ER. And who was I to question what God wanted to do? Uh, about eight years ago, I opened Patmos Emergency Clinic uh, to provide care for the uninsured. On average, I have about 5,000 patient visits a year. About 60% of those don't have insurance. About 25% uh, have uh, high deductible commercial insurance. So how are you feeling today? Well. Did you take your blood pressure medicine this morning at all? No. No? Okay. All right. A lot of people thought what I was doing was foolish, and they probably were right. Uh, in the eyes of the world, I think it is foolish, but God has a, a different strategy. He tends to choose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Taking care of the uninsured, that's the ultimate foolishness in healthcare today. The last eight years trying to more authentically be a follower of Christ is um, a lot of times a struggle. Struggle financially. I've foregone quite a large amount of income. The struggles of recognizing that my skills are deteriorating from the ER. But the biggest cost really would probably be with my kids because I've foregone putting money aside for their college education. My kids didn't have a choice in that. And that, that, that bothers me. I wonder sometimes if it's really worth it. I could work maybe a shift or two in an ER a week and do as well financially as I am now and have a lot more time off to do other things, spend time with my family. Don't know. How you doing? I've been worried about my toe. This morning, it was swelled and throbbing real bad. You weren't going to go to the ER. And the reason you weren't going to go to the ER is why? I mean, that thing needs to be expensive. Expensive. Hey, I'm being garnished for 12 years ago. Well, let's take a look at it. That's tender right there. Is it still sharp out press there or just hurt? No, it's just in certain places. I'm going to get you basically 20 days worth of this medicine to take twice a day. All right. Let me get you a work excuse. No. <laughs> <laughs> Joe was a guy who um, got good care who wouldn't have gotten good care. That's, that's satisfying. He would have been another invisible casualty of our healthcare system. Somebody who would have fallen through the cracks and somebody I was able to help.
Take it easy now. I'll do it. All right, stay safe. It's been worth the risk, I think, because I kind of afraid of the type of person I would have become had I continued doing what I was doing, to become more hardened and callous and willingly blind. What would cause a man to make that kind of radical sacrifice? He already said, I'm, a, I'm afraid of the kind of person I would have become had I continued what I was doing to become more hardened and callous and blind to those around me. Why would a man give up his surgical practice to serve the uninsured? Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must what? He must pick up his own cross and follow me. If you're going to grow, Jesus says, you must first, what? Die. That's the secret of the seed. Death to self. Death to the things in this world that appear to offer security, the deceitfulness of wealth, and actually trade it for true treasure. That's, that's radical faith, is it not? I mean, when you leave your practice and treat people without insurance, man, that's a man with deep roots. That's a radical, radical faith. In fact, radical is a good word because that's where the word term roots comes from in the Bible. It's from the Latin word radicalis. We put it in your notes. It means from the root. So to be radical means to be what? Rooted. You know how we say someone has radical surgery? What we mean by that is we actually cut down to the very root of it. And a radical disciple is rooted in Christ's cross above everything else in life. Jesus' invitation to live in the kingdom it wasn't just about getting to heaven after you die, but redeeming your life on earth right now and living in such a fundamentally radical, rooted way that's only possible when the power and the love of God has complete authority over every area of your life. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 say this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. What's the word? Rooted, radicalis, and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith you were taught. Just as you once received Christ. You remember when the gospel first penetrated your hard heart? Doom, 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 and you felt that flood of joy. He says, I want you now to put your roots down. Sink them deep into Christ so that you can grow organically. You need roots if you're going to obey. You need roots if you're going to bear fruit. That's a foundational, biblical principle, guys. No roots, no what? Fruits. See, see fr fruits, are, fruits are just what we see on the outside, okay? These, like good deeds. Like a doctor starting you know, a clinic to serve the poor. You may think, you may be like, well, I could never do that. Of course you can. It's not like you mechanically force fruit to grow. Grow, fruit. What do you... Growth is organic, not mechanical. It comes from something God does deep inside of you, and you can see fruits, but you can't see roots, can you? Where are roots? They're hidden underground. And Robert had the gospel penetrate his heart on a personal level before he took a radical step of serving the poor, and that's where God wants you to start, on the inside, your heart, where nobody else sees. See, guys, this is the difference between religion and grace. Religion will wear you out. Because religion says, I obey, therefore God must accept me, therefore I obey. It's mechanical. 
Religion can get people to stay in line and do good things, but it can't produce growth authentically, organically. Grace says, God already accepts me through the radical grace of Christ. Therefore, I want to obey. I want to love people like the way I've been loved. Something just wells up in you when, it, when that takes root in your heart, the passion that Christ has for you. Jeremiah 17 is the best description of what happens when you're deeply rooted in Christ. It says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its what? Its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. In other words, guys, when you're a radical disciple, yeah, you're deeply rooted in the sacrifice and grace of Christ. Jeremiah says there are four telltale signs. You know it. The first is you're not bothered by the heat. When you have deep roots, you can handle pressure. When you're criticized at work, when you experience a bump in your marriage or someone breaks up with you, or you're hit with an unexpected health crisis, you may sweat, but you don't actually swoon because you're not worried by the drought. Number two, the drought is when things dry up in life, kind of like a recession. Yeah? Right now, we have 9 to 10% of people in our church right now out of work. That's called a drought. But in the midst of it, your leaves stay green. They don't actually wither or shrivel, but actually maintain their life and vitality. Even when the conditions get harsh on the outside, you internally flourish because you're drawing on something deeper. And that's why you keep on producing fruit, number four. There's this organic exchange happening deep inside between, between you and between Christ at a level nobody sees, and the result is external what? Fruit. What kind of fruit? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. From Even when everything around you is in turmoil, the heat is on, life dries up, you don't stop producing fruit. Why? Because your faith is radical. It's deeply rooted in the life of Jesus Christ. And as you draw on him, you nourish yourself in God's word. Growth organically happens. You experience life in the kingdom. Jesus is life in you and bubbling over. That's why you have to put down deep roots this fall. This is, a, this is a call to radical, rooted discipleship. If you are spiritually rootless, you cannot produce fruit on your own as, as much as you want to. You'll just settle for being a good person, a moral person. But when your happiness and, and, and holiness is dependent, it's going to be on the circumstances around you. No crisis, no problem. I'm good. When in life is there no crisis? Or one looming around the corner? If you're going to have an exponential harvest, 30 60, 100 times what was planted, you have to get radical and actually send your roots deep down into the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to do as a church this fall. I'm excited about this. We're going to go back to our roots so we can tether ourselves to some of the practices that the early church fathers and mothers did to deepen their faith in Christ. Honestly, I think one of the major problems with uh, modern Christians is that many of us are kind of spiritually rootless we have no sense of our historical roots in those who have gone before. I, I will give you a news flash. Um, Christianity did not start in the 1990s. You'll be shocked, I know. What? I felt when I sang Shout to the Lord. That's when it all happened. No. It's been going on for 2,000 years, and we are a little blip, guys, in a much greater story, his story, the his, history that God's telling through his people. 
And so what we've decided to do today and for the remainder of our series is to give you a chance to personally respond to God because you can't just hear the word, get in your car, go home, and just get on with life. It has to penetrate personally in your heart if it's going to bear fruit, and that takes time. It's interesting. When God wants to grow a mushroom, you know how long he takes? He takes six hours. When he wants to grow an oak tree, he takes 60 years. The only question is, do you want to be a mushroom or an oak tree? This fall, in every service at every campus, we are giving you a a gift, the gift of time, making room in our service for silence and allowing you to respond to the truth of Christ. And to spend some time meditating, responding, praying, and then actually getting to your feet and offering God your heart in one of three ways. You may have noticed when you walked in today, we set up stations around the room with a cross, communion, and candles. And you may be like, yeah, I felt like I walked into a mass. That's fine. What we're going to do is clear some space every Sunday for you to encounter Christ and draw close through these elements. We actually put an explanation of this, our response, on your seat when you walked in. But at the cross station, you've noticed we've provided a slip of paper and pencil for you to write on. And you can actually write a prayer to God, or, or maybe it's coming clean about some unconfessed sin in your life, and we've provided thumbtacks for you to nail your note to the cross. At the cross, we're told Jesus took all our sin on himself, and he nailed it there. And in return, he gives us his righteousness. God gives us a clean slate. So leave your sin or, or pin a prayer at the cross. Then you may want to take communion. Christ takes our sin away and then gives us himself. Communion is his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. And Christians have received the Eucharist together for thousands of years. Although it's symbolic, it's just a way of admitting I'm powerless. I can't do any of this without the resurrection power of Christ in me. So receive nourishment and strengthen your faith through communion. And lastly, you may want to light a candle. The practice of lighting candles before God didn't originate with the Catholic Church. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament, okay? The Lord actually required the Israelites to keep lamps burning in the tabernacle, and he led them by a pillar of fire. And lighting candles is a symbol of the desire for God's presence in your life and to actually be led by him. Jesus said in John 8, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So today, you may want to light a candle to express your desire for God's illumination in your life or in the life of someone you love. Maybe you know someone, you thought of them today, whose faith has hardened. Maybe you're thinking of someone who's fallen away. Light a candle for them. These are votive candles. You know what votive means? Votive means vow. And so lighting a candle is just a way of placing a vow before God. Your prayer for God's presence in their life or yours. Cross communion candles, three ancient ways to return to our spiritual roots. We're going to spend the next few minutes reflecting, and then our only goal is for you to respond to Christ and experience the power and presence of your Savior on a personal level. We want this to be a sacred time. It may be the only holy moment in your week when you can actually respond with your heart. So feel free to get up and move about the cabin. We're not releasing rows. It's whenever you feel led. You can do one or all of them or none of them, whatever it is. Confess your sin if something is choking your faith. Taste and see that God is good. Or light a candle and pray for the friend or the family member who God has put on your heart. Let's pray together. Father, your call to radical discipleship, to being rooted in the love and grace of your Son, 
is radical. That's, there's no other word. But we know it's possible because you've provided everything we need. Your grace is greater than all our sin and failings. Your love and affection penetrate the hardest of hearts here. And I pray right now for every man and woman who is going to go to one of the stations to encounter you. Would you right now, in this moment of worship, would you till the soil of their heart in this room, touch them, let them know you are right here, and strengthen us with your Holy Spirit as we worship the risen Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.